This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the June 2022 edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I'm Brett McMillan. Glad that you could join us here in our Bush Stadium studios. As always, joined by Joe Pfeiffer, our Director of Alumni Relations. Larry State, our Manager of Alumni Relations, is on assignment today. And for the third straight time, we have a pitcher joining us here in 2022. It is Rick Horton. Rick, thanks so much for making the time. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I don't know how much mm. pitching we'll talk today, Rick, because there's some other things we want to get to. But had you noticed that we went? Roboski, I have not noticed that, McClellan. but I, I think about a lot of our events we do here at the stadium, fantasy camps, appearances, you name it, and we have a significant number of alumni pitchers that are involved in that state local, ironically, in St. Louis. Heavy pitcher group. I just assumed you were going with the best athletes first. I, I didn't Maybe go there for a reason. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's dig right into that, Rick. Obviously, you have been a mainstay with Cardinal Baseball for many, many years, since 1984 when you first took the mound. You really have been here consistently, save for that little bit of time that you were with the White Sox and the Dodgers. I like to ask Ozzy this sometimes, or I hear people ask him, and it's interesting to me that he stayed here. Could have gone anywhere, yeah. could have lived anywhere. You could be doing this for other teams, but you you have decided to do it here in St. Louis. Why is that? Well, I'm going to even go back to 1980 when the Cardinals drafted me, because you know 1984 is the first time I came to St. Louis, but when you're drafted in the minor leagues, you are kind of immersed in Cardinal culture, so you just feel like you're part of a, of a big Cardinal family. So when the Cardinals won in 1982, I was in college finishing up my degree as a minor league player, but yet... I was rooting for the Cardinals, and Willie McGee makes a catch, and Bruce Souter strikes out Gorman Thomas, and I felt like those are my guys. So you already have that kind of in your blood. And by the time I got to St. Louis, you know, I, I realized that, boy, this is a great place. These people love the team. Uh, you know, the ballpark's energetic. There's a bunch of people every night, and it's just a, just a great experience that wasn't always duplicated in other places where I'd go on the road. And after my first year, I was from New, I'm from New York, and my wife's from Virginia, and Whitey Herzog brought me into his office and said, I heard you're thinking about you know where you're going to live in the offseason. You need to live in St. Louis. And your manager tells you you need to live in St. Louis. You pay attention, and uh, you do what he says. And he said, and here's why. You will get connected to the community. You'll love it here. And we weren't sure whether to go back to New York or Virginia or what to do. And so we did that because Whitey said so. We bought a condo in St. Louis, and that was 1984, uh, end of the season, and we've been here ever since. And so it was Whitey's influence, not just with me, but with several of my teammates. And I ended up having, as, as Joe knows, uh, year after year of Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve uh, with my extended family because we were all – former teammates that didn't have family within a thousand miles of here. So we would become each other's family. And so uh, their kids were my nieces and nephews. And, you know, it, it just makes you feel like uh, this is a place you want to stay. And even though I would get traded a couple of times, Brett, and move on, I, this was still always home. Well, it's nice that Whitey communicated off-season plans because – he didn't really communicate to you that you had made the team. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Joe knows this story, Brett. So when, when I first made the team, 
uh, it was uh, the last day of spring training. Whitey had a coach tell me that if you pitch well this last day, you make the team. And if you don't, you won't. It was Hal Lanier who told me that. And Hal said, look, and he had coached me in winter ball uh, that winter. And he said, look, Whitey figures that if you can't handle that pressure, you don't, believe, you don't belong here anyway. So, so that was the pressure moment. And I pitched well, but so did the other guy. So the game's over. We're breaking camp. Everybody's getting on buses and cars, and they're going, and we're breaking camp. And I'm sitting at my locker, and I don't know whether I made the team or not. No one said a word to me. So I'm sitting at my locker, and I looked, and Andy Van Slyke was a friend of mine from the year before and, and years before. And I said, Andy, what, I don't know what's going on. He said, well, you need to go in and ask Whitey. And I said, I know I had to ask him. thought somebody would tell me. So I, I go into Whitey's office, and um, I knock on the door. I come in, and I hear – I hear the shower turning off, and Whitey walks around the corner, and I just said, hey, Whitey, I'm, this is Rick. I'm just wondering if I made the team. And he turns around the corner, and he does not have a stitch of clothing on, and he's got a towel in his hand. And, and so I, like, avert my eyes as quickly as possible, and I said, hey, I just want to know if I made the team. He said, yeah, yeah, kid, you made the team. Okay, goodbye. So I ran, <laughs> I ran out the door. So this magical moment that I couldn't wait to experience was delivered by – Whitey Herzog without any clothes on. So that it's an image I'm trying to get out of my head, frankly, Joe. Thanks for bringing it up. I love bringing it up. (laughs) I think the thing that stood out to me about Whitey, it's interesting you say that, though. Even though he was, I don't know, a little rough around the edges in situations like that, that guy stumps for his guys even 40 years later as much as anybody I've ever seen in any profession. And there's other managers that do it, too. Like, Tony is that way, but Whitey really, I mean, he loves you guys. So, so Whitey expected loyalty and Whitey gave loyalty to coaches, players, and, and he would do anything for his players. And, you know, Whitey had been a scout. He was kind of raised to be a scout, and scouts got to make quick judgments about players. Can they play? Can't they? What kind of guy are they going to be? And he would make quick judgments. And, he, you know, none of us are right all the time but but he would live by those judgments and man if you're one of his guys you are one of his guys in fact uh, when he quit uh, managing uh, I was sitting at a pool with my wife in San Diego we were on a road trip and we found out at the pool all of the players there that Whitey had uh, had decided to, to to quit in 1990 and I turned to Ann and I said I, I hope you enjoy San Diego here because I'm not going to last much longer and it was a week later I got released and mm-hmm. because Whitey was the guy that was uh, you know, kind of stumping for me all the way, and and but again, post career he did the same, and I'm appreci- very much appreciative of that. He has. We've even seen it with the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. induction here with the Cardinals, how he's lobbied for his guys, and yes, he's still. I mean, he it's almost like a dad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was so excited when Vince got in, when Tommy got in, when Toot got in. Um, he was he pushed for him and got him on the ballot, and Cardinals Nation responded with the vote and. He's thrilled that his guys are represented in our Hall of Fame. Well, I think that's one of the things about baseball, too, right? I mean, all sports are a human story, but baseball has got this marathon component. You're with your teammates more than your family, and then there's that high pressure in the postseason. It it is the ultimate kind of relational thing, and I think that's what Cardinal fans love about Whitey is that he really is kind of the epitome of that. Oh, he is. He engages at every level. I mean, he he was in one of our suites on the last homestand, and he was breaking down Stephen Matz mm-hmm. on the mound. He's like, Stephen's going inside, 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 inside. He's, he, we can't let him miss over the plate. He's got to work that outer corner too. So at the age of 90, you know, people always talk about Whitey's ability to um, remember in the moment what happened during his managerial career or his playing career. But I think what impresses me even more at this stage of his life is how much he has become a fan and still engages not only baseball – he called Larry State, our, our manager of alumni relations the other day, was breaking down 
the Blues challenges defensively. So he's that way with <laughs> hockey, basketball, football too. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, and, and I, I love what you said about how baseball lends itself to that too, Brett, because it really does. And, you know, you go to – and I – you know, the great sports that we have, you can go to a, a basketball game, you go to a football game, and it's high energy, it's loud, and the game's over and you go home. And and if you want to talk during the game, well, it's kind of hard to do that. And right. if, you, if you want to talk with your family there. Uh, but baseball lends itself to storytelling. And nothing better than sitting in a bullpen, by the way, to, to do that because you're out there with a few guys that are basically just been kind of uh, ban- banished to the bullpen that don't they don't even want them on the bench and so you're out there kind of doing your own thing until the bell rings and so there's a lot of downtime to to uh, express personalities and all of that and baseball personalities are all over the place. People think baseball players are homogeneous. They are not. I mean, they're think about how international the game is. You've got guys that signed out of high school. You got guys that went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford and Vanderbilt and Virginia. You've got uh, you knew I was going to say nice that plug. joke, but 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 you've got uh, just a, a very people from the Northeast, West, all over. And and I I love that about the game. And you experience that in the minor leagues first, and you realize that wow, this is a culture shock. It's not just people that look and act like me anymore it's it's a it's more of a world game and and it uh i think again lends itself to stories and and about people and uh i, I just i just love that about the game and uh, you know people want to shorten the game and i get that but let's not shorten it too much let's not make it too uh perfunctory because there's 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 time for things to breathe in a baseball game okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's really a game, like you said, of many cultures, of really predominantly two languages, English and Spanish. You speak both, which I think is really, A, would be very helpful. So many times I wish that I spoke Spanish. How did that, that happen Especially for you? Especially when you're ordering a chocolate shake. Even yeah, so, I, so I, it, it kind of started earlier, and, and that chocolate shake story is uh, we had a teammate named Jim Adusi. We were playing winter ball, and I was really studying hard to learn the language at the time, and it was based on, on just other experiences I had in the minor leagues. But I had a, a roommate that would call me, and, and Jim Adusi, or a teammate, Jim Adusi, would call me and say, would you order room service for me? I had to order room service for him every night while we played in the Dominican, while we were staying in the hotel, because he didn't, he said, I can't do this. You just call him for me. So I was ordering him a batida de la choza chocolate every night. He said, yeah, just give me a chocolate milkshake. That's what I thought that meant. What I, but what I was asking for was a papaya milkshake <laughs> with chocolate, and, he, and he'd say... Rick, they got it wrong again. Call them back. <laughs> so, so that, so my Spanish isn't great, Brett. But I actually, uh, my first year in the minor leagues, I, I started learning it. I take it in high school, like a lot of people. You take it, but I realized, okay, I'm hearing these words. I somewhat recognize. All of our best players were from the Dominican, and they were winning. They were getting these uh, star of the game uh, coupons for meals, and they didn't have a car. And they said, "Well, we, I can't really use those." So I was teaching them English, and they were giving me food. So it was kind of like a side gig I had going on. I'm getting you know free sub sandwiches, which you know when you're an A ball, it's big go, like important. gold, big deal. But but I'm but I'm teaching them Spanish, and I and I really like that. And I had one 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 uh, American player, one uh, guy from the U.S. On, on the bus that was yelling at me from the front of the bus one day because I was in the back teaching them and he said they need to learn to speak american that's what he said and and it and it solidified my heart to say 
okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I didn't confront him with it. I just let him say what he said. But it made me double down on the fact that these guys are here in this country and 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 literally can, can barely get through the day. They're great athletes, but but they have needs, and I'm going to be a part of that. I, one of my roommates had me room with Jose Uribe on the road, Jose Gonzalez, mm-hmm. changed his name to Uribe, played with the Giants in the, in the, against us in the playoffs in 87. But we roomed together on the road, and one day he had a, a, a problem with his teeth, and I had to take him to the dentist and translate while he had stuff in his mouth. I mean, it's hard enough oh to do gosh. that. But he, And all I can remember saying to the dentist is, I think he said, ouch. I'm not, sure. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But, but I can, I, I, it's still pass, I passable Spanish, but it's enough to – I mean, I hope it shows respect for – um, for the, the fact that our game includes people from all over the world. And, uh, you know, when I coached with the Indians, one last quick story on that, I was uh, with the Indians, and Rod Booker was a guy like me that uh, was a minor league coach, and we were running instructional league with all the pitchers, all the future big leaguers. And we decided um, that we were going to, in one morning, we were going to do every drill in Spanish only. And we weren't going to break. So the mm-hmm. two of us were speaking Spanish the whole time. And we'd say, okay, vámonos por allá, tira, tira lado derecho. And we're telling them to go down the right field line and throw. And we're telling them, and then we're doing PFP. And we're doing all this stuff that you do in a normal baseball practice. And the guys that didn't speak Spanish were getting madder and madder and madder as mm-hmm. the time went on. And after about three hours of this, all morning we kept it up joking around with the Latin guys and just having fun with us. And Julian Tavares was one of those guys, oh, this wow. was an, a young Indian pitcher. Hmm. We sat them all down in the bleachers, and I said, okay, let's talk. How did you feel? And they said, well, you guys were making fun of us. And I said, no, we weren't. And I said, so, but it felt like it, right? And they said, well, we didn't understand what was going on. We felt stupid. Oh, really? Huh, hmm. interesting. And we went through several points with the American players wow. – English-speaking players, to explain that this is what they deal with every single day. Now, they're happy to have a job playing baseball for a living, and we don't have to feel sorry for them, but I think just a little bit of understanding goes a long way. It takes guts. I think that all the time when guys come through, like our stations in spring training, I think about being somewhere where I couldn't speak the language at all, and just how, I don't know, lonely that would make you feel. Yes. Yeah, culture, money, I mean, everything. And you're you're at that age. Right. Think Think about being handed... That amount of money, money in knowing the language and the culture, handed that opportunity not knowing the language and the culture. Right. You had like your own version to remember the Titans right there in Indians camp. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. It was a, it was a, it was a wonderful day. I'm so grateful. I mean, I'm really excited when I think about that moment. I feel like that was an important moment. Awesome. And and yeah, and I, I think it. Again, uh, we don't have to feel sorry for them, but the reality is that you know you want them to be. You're in the same mission. You're on a you're on a team going forward and, and, you know, they're going to miss some things. And, and the more you can help fill in those gaps about, you know, wh- wh- how to handle your money and where, what place to stay and, and, you know, any, any way you can help is, is a good thing. By the time you get to the big leagues, you have more advocates and, and you have more coaches like Mike Matheny and, and Oliver Marmol that, that clearly are bilingual and that certainly helps. Uh, but, you know, lower levels of the minor leagues uh, n- not so much. Well, let's talk a little bit about your journey in broadcasting. You were done playing the game at, what, 30, 31 years old maybe, and you've been broadcasting now longer than you ever played by a lot. How did you end up sitting in a seat doing this uh, professionally? Well, I was done uh, pitching professionally at 31. I was done being good at 29. So <laughs> so I had a couple of years I had a couple of years where I was, uh, you know, you have to make that last effort to just see if every – you know, you, you've, you've looked under every rock to figure out, can I throw a fork ball? I wonder if I threw a knuckleball. I wonder if I threw sidearm. Tried them all. 
tried to throw, I mean, everything. And, and they just all hurt. And, and I just couldn't, I just had lost flexibility and just had lost that little edge that I had. So, but you know, you have to play that out. And so I went back to winter ball in Puerto Rico just to see if I could get a comeback and played the minor leagues and worked my way back down there. But during that process, I had several people that uh, suggested to me that, that maybe broadcasting is a thing I can do. And the first person to suggest that was Jack Buck, Jack Buck. Actually, that was while I was playing uh, here in St. Louis, uh, I believe the second time, Jack said, have you ever thought about this? And he got a uh, an, an interview with me, with uh, Bob Hyland, who was the head of Camo X at the time, very, you know, just a, a big stature man in, in, in St. Louis, as big as they came, and uh, as influential. And, and I re- what I remember about that meeting, it was, it, and I don't know exactly the time, but it was something like the meeting was at 923 at night. And I felt like, okay, I have a 923 meeting. Do I have two minutes or seven minutes to talk? Because <laughs> if it's at 923, this guy's busy. So, and, and, but he, he encouraged me to just start working at it. And uh, you know, Joe Buck was helpful. Bob Carpenter was helpful. They all said I could do it. So, uh, you know, just opportunities kind of came up. I was, I was around when, uh, when people had uh, health issues or family issues, and I would kind of fill in. So I filled in for probably six years on radio before I became a full-time Cardinal broadcaster. I was doing other things. I was the chaplain for the team for several years, so I was around the players. I knew enough to be dangerous about to fill in. I could, I could do that. So, and, and I was doing other things. I was uh, working on, on TV as an analyst during postseason for, for, uh, with, uh, with Mike Bush and Frank Cusimano, and they were very helpful. So I was around it. But, uh, you know, in my mind, I wasn't pushing for the opportunity, but – I saw that as a potential if a, if a door ever opened up, and it, it it opened up slowly but surely over about ten years before I became full time in two thousand four. So this might I don't know this might be a difficult question to answer, but being a big leaguer, obviously everybody knows the odds are so slim, mm-hmm. and sitting in the seat you're in now, I would almost argue those odds are slimmer. Because usually it's a two- or three-man setup. We have three great broadcasters here in St. Louis. You think about three times 30. That's right. a lot less than the guys mm-hmm. who are going to pick up a bat and play baseball. What what was more difficult as you were doing it? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I would say, you know, in my mind, I think broadcasting felt more natural because it was something I was kind of interested in. I've, you know, I had done some public speaking things and, and I'd been an MC before and some of that with my work with the fellowship of Christian athletes. So, so I'd very comfortable in that kind of general area. So, so it it seemed like a natural fit and I could tell that not everybody was comfortable with that. I mean, I, and I knew that pretty early on, I was involved with the players association and I would always have kind of roles as a player that, uh, were more kind of upfront leadership things. And, and again, just because a lot of guys were, you know, they wanted to hit, they wanted to throw, they wanted to catch the ball, and they just weren't interested in that. And, you know, you also have the, honestly, the the, the big flies in baseball, as I, as I like to call them, the guys that are the uh, the superstars, the Hall of Famers, are, are, are often, you know, th- 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 there's not as much incentive for them to want to do it, too. So it, it kind of narrows the pool of ex-players. And honestly, you know, people say, well, how— How'd you learn how to be a broadcaster? And I'd say, well, I still haven't because I never took a class in it. I never really had professional training in it other than just doing it uh, regularly. But the training really was being a player and being in the clubhouse because the information is more important for me than to be the kind of the spot on linguist that uh, John Rooney or Bob Costas or Dan McLaughlin are, you know, that's, you know, I've tried to be as good as I can at that. But I think the, the point is that, 
You know, I was in the bullpen. I know what that feels like. I was in a World Series. I know what that uh, three times. I know what that feels like. And I think that was the value added I thought I could bring to it. So I had, I had some confidence in that. Honestly, when you throw 84 miles an hour as a pitcher, you don't really think you have a ceiling on the on the professional side. So the fact that I played seven years in the big leagues was uh, was just kind of gravy to me. I, I never thought that I would have that kind of career. You played with the Dodgers as well. Mm-hmm. I imagine that you had some time with Vince Scully. I so did. That, I mean, that's incredible, too, to mm-hmm. me. Jack Buck, who you probably were around on the buses, the planes, mm-hmm. the same thing with Vin. I mean, th- those are, to me, those are the names at all time in this business. So I have an, I have an experience that I'll never forget of uh, being in a room, a uh, very, very prominent room with some very prominent people. One of them was Tommy Lasorda. And Tommy Lasorda was in this room, and Steve Sachs, a teammate of mine, was in this room. And there was probably 30 or 40 of us in this room, and and uh, Vin Scully was one of them in, in this room. And he said, uh, okay, Sachs, why don't you do your, your Vin Scully impersonation in front of all these other 30 people? So so he does his, his – uh, Vin Scully, and he was spot on with doing Vin, and and maybe a little off color even, but funny. And so, and and Tommy, Tommy loved putting Saxy on the spot, and his face was a little was beat red while he was doing it. And he said, "Okay, now I want you to do him." And the him he's talking about was President Reagan, because we're in the Oval Office. So we're in the Oval Office with President Reagan and Nancy Reagan, and he pointed to Sax and said, "Okay, now do him." And Steve Sachs kind of tightened up. And then he did it because he had done it on the bus a thousand times. And he, well, and he goes into this long little and and the president loved it. So, so I mean, honestly, there are times, Brett and Joe, I feel like Forrest Gump that I got to be mm. in these moments. I had that yeah. thought to, as I was yeah, looking oh my at goodness, your baseball yeah. reference. Yeah. It just I, yeah, yeah. I mean, one, it's one of my favorite movies because I do feel like that. I mean, you know, I, I you know, I just to be in in an experience where you know. Been to the Oval Office a couple of times, actually. Of course, we were there, and when David Freeze did what he did, and um, and 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 having a chance to 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 be there um, and and meet other presidents along the way. I mean, it's like, why me? Why do I get to do that? And so I'm very thankful for that. So my my end result of thinking about the experiences I've had is I don't I've had them so that I can share them. So it's not about it's not about the experience itself because that's a thing, but it's about the maybe the lesson or the story or the the interesting thing that can come out of that that might be of, of interest to somebody else. And it all started with one of the best to ever do it and Jack Buck mm. confiding in you and giving you the confidence saying, I, I think you can do this. So, that, J- Joe, the, I can't tell you how meaningful that was to have Jack say I could do it. And and honestly, if if anybody else would have I mean, you know, my mom said I could do it, but my mom thinks I could be the president. And I don't, you know, they're going to tell you that stuff. People are going to tell you things and other people are going to flatter you. And, you know, Jack wasn't going to do that. So right. Jack was going to say, no, you need to, you can do this. And so there's, at some deep level, Jack's um, kind of verifying that this was a path I should go on. And and frankly, Joe's help more directly in broadcasting. As Joe, Joe did, I say I don't have training, but Joe got mad at me a couple of times early on. I, I did, not mad at me, but he instructed me mm-hmm. a couple of times in very good ways. Um a couple of the first games I did on radio, I did with Joe. So first game I ever did, I did with Jack. I mean, talk about scary. Oh, yeah. And it was a no-hitter through seven innings, so that more pressure. Uh, Alan Bennis was pitching in Atlanta. So I did my game with Jack, but Joe was doing a game with him, and he put, put the headsets down in between innings, and he said, okay, I got two things to tell you. Number one, 
you're not a teacher. I know you do FCA stuff. You teach people, but you're not a teacher. So in, in teaching, you, you say it, say it again, tell them what you said. In radio, you say it. And if you say it a second time, the people who got it are mad that you had to say it a second time. The people that didn't get it don't get it again. So don't do that. Just say it once and move on. So I, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And then he also said, stop trying to be a broadcaster and just be you. And I'll never forget Joe telling me that because you, you almost feel as if you have to project a persona or or have a certain voice or a certain cadence instead of just being you. And he said, you know, some people are going to like that and others are not. They they won't. So, but you can live with yourself being you and, and that's what you should do. So, again, the Buck family uh, in general mm. helped me out big time. That's incredible. What a, yeah, what an endorsement, Jack Buck. I mean, I'd... I feel like if somebody said that, if Jack Buck said that to somebody, you'd want to just walk through a brick wall. I mean, yeah. you'd feel, you'd feel yeah. empowered to do it yeah. at that level. Well, and so I and I so I had that experience as a player with Whitey because Whitey believed in me, and Whitey would bring me into a game and he'd say, "Okay, here's what you're going to do." It's like that's Whitey Herzog. He's a Hall of Famer now, and now, and you knew he would be. But you know, Whitey inspired confidence too, and that's why you have a had teams in the '80s that you'd say, "Well." You look at him. You look back on him. You say, "Yeah, there were star players on that team." But but the but the but the one plus one equals three was definitely part of those teams because you knew he could make whatever talent you had work for the benefit of the team. Tom Lawless stealing a base in the third inning, or getting a bunt down, or pinch running in the ninth, or me getting one lefty out in the seventh inning, which you know you'd say, "Well, not a big deal." But to him, he made you feel like. The team didn't work without you doing what you're doing, and you're the best at that. And so it just made you want to respond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have seen Albert Pujols for basically the entire balance of his mm-hmm. career. Now he's back this year. We've been asking the alumni that have come through here just their thoughts. Kyle McClellan was in here last month, and he had some interesting stories about Wayno, Yachty, and Albert. I'm sure that you do as well, but you also have this perspective that you were here with the Cardinals. He left for a time. You made the choice to come back. Mm-hmm. Albert's done the same thing. Just what's this been like for you in the booth watching this unfold and him kind of take it all in. So I, I have the perspective of being glad that I came home so I could feel like literally I'm coming home. So, I mean, that, so, and that has nothing to do with the field, on the field or the playing. That's just a, a gut-level feeling that I belong here. Uh, because once you get traded and you come into the visitor's dugout in the visitor's locker room, you're, you're them. And, and then you even you see the guys that used to be us, and now you're them. And you got another us because you got other teammates, and so that's weird. And that yet you live in the place where you're now them. And so coming back and playing here was a was a, I guess a re-energizing of what it means to be us and be a cardinal. And you know you never really forget it completely, but coming back solidifies that. And I think that's what's happened with Albert. I think he's he's remembering that he's us, and and fans are remembering that he's us. And and that is as big a deal as anything that he's doing on the field, and he's been productive, and all that's great. Uh, and, I mean, I love being around Albert. I, my, my favorite thought about Albert as a young player 
who was hitting 30 home runs every year, driving in 100 runs, scoring 100 runs, hitting, uh, hitting 300, doing that every year, year after year. He'd come to spring training and he'd say, man, uh, you know, what's, your, what's your spring training? So I'm just trying to make the team. <laughs> and people thought, okay, that, he's just saying that, right? But I don't think he was. I really believe that his mental attitude was, I want to work to, um, to, to, to be a part of this, and I'm not just going to just take it for granted, and I'm not going to take it easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lay it all out there. And I think he has done that in his career, and that's how you get to be top five, top ten in, in category. That's why every day we talk about, well, he just tied Willie Mays for mm-hmm. most games played, and he just – has as many hits as uh, Eddie Collins, top ten all times, and he's on the top five of the home, of everything. And you think this guy is one of the uh, the Mount Rushmore players of the game of baseball, no and doubt. and to be able to do it as long as he's done it is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, he's he, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, and I mean, he's he's amongst those guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think people stop and look at that enough, and just think about what we're experiencing, and then and then go back and look at those first eleven years with us. It's as good as it ever was in the history of the game mm-hmm. when you break what down what he did from 01 to 11 here. And just his humility, his hard work. I mean, he's an elite, elite talent. His hard work is second to none when you hear anybody talk about him. But then his simplicity in his approach, too. Uh, Lance Berkman tells a funny story, and he, he told us at Fantasy Camp a couple years ago of how when Lance came over, they'd be in hitters meetings early in the season in 11, and, and Albert would just consistently, you know, look at the video and say, yeah, I'm just going to put a good swing on it. We, and Lance is hoping there's more there. Like, uh-huh. There's got to be more there to this approach. And finally, Albert says it again in one of the meetings. How are we going to look at this? You know, everyone's like, how are we going to hit this guy today? And Albert's like, I'm just going to put a good swing on it. And Lance is like, well, see, now you're Albert Pujols. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work for any of the rest of us. <laughs> but that's who he is. Yeah. I mean, he we are, we get to experience for one more year one of the one of the greatest players in the history of our game, and mm-hmm. we may never see the way the game's played and the longevity of players. We may never people need to cherish this because yeah. we may never ever see this again. It's amazing how there's moments where you see the flashes of who he was, oh yeah. one through eleven, mm-hmm. and I mean he's still a, a very good major league player now. He's not what he was then. He knows that. I think he would say it. But yeah. uh, we're coming off when you guys were on the road in Pittsburgh. You hit the two home runs on Sunday. Yeah. And those swings to me, that that felt like Albert Pujols from 07, 08. It, it made me smile. Like, you're yeah, smiling now yeah. as I was sitting at home. Well, it's fun to hear them on the radio broadcast just talking about it, too. Yeah, you, you see. You just feel the, the energy and the love over the air. It was pretty cool. Not exactly the same swing, but it has the remnant of that. It's yeah. not not exactly the same Pujols scowl at the plate. I mean, that's the thing I remember, or too, the, as a young player. Or the wide player. stance. Or the right wide stance. And the, yeah. But just the scowl. And, you know, clearly he's not as good at – you know, we, we talk about him offensively because the numbers are crazy, but, you know, he's a gold glover, too, and a really good fielder, and that's not his best thing right now. But, uh, you know, After Albert— After playing a couple other positions uh, before exactly. he moved to first base. Exactly. Yeah. He, and he a, was a complete player when yeah. he was here, stealing bases. And, right. you know, we always used to say about Albert when he'd run the bases that— and his teammates would say this. I, I think I may have gotten this from Chris Carpenter first, that, that Albert's invisible. So when he run the bases, he should be out, but he's not. How do, he shouldn't go there, but he's safe. How, how's he? He must be invisible. So that's kind of how you, 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 we used to watch Albert uh, run the bases. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just – I'm grateful that I've been around for his career. It's just been, it's just been a blessing for me.
Yeah, we're all blessed to get to see mm-hmm. one player, maybe if we're lucky in our lifetime, one player like that. And uh, for some of us, we've got to see it in two stints now. So. Superstown of 2028. Go ahead and mark it down. Yeah. And, yeah. and forthcoming Bud Bash, I would assume. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> one step at a time, Brett. So, so I saw Clemente play. I saw Mays play. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Pujols play. And so I'm grateful for all of those three. And I would not put them in any order other than say that they're the top. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so fun. We really appreciate your time and all the great stories. We appreciate you watching as well, and we want to remind you that you can interact with us here on the show. Email us, podcast with an S, at cardinals.com. We release on the first of each month, both on YouTube and in audio form, wherever you get your podcasts. For Joe and Rick, I'm Brett. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Cardinals Insider Podcast for June 2022.